Hey, it's Tony. On today's show, we'll chat with Michael Wilbon about analytics I-95 and United Airlines. We'll talk to Barry Verluga about the new coach for the Washington football team and also about the new owners of the Orioles. But first, let's do some commerce. Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. Mike Litwin moved. Mike Downey moved. Skip Bayless moved. Mike Lubica moved. I moved. Rick Riley moved. Kindred moved. Woody Page never moved, though, right? He never moved. You never moved. Somebody else never moved. Ryan, Bob Ryan never moved. Are there lessons to be learned in this? You've always been happy there. No, it's just nobody else wanted me. <laughs> well, beyond that. Yeah. You know. Mobility implies upwardness. Yeah. I found my level of mediocrity and dug in. <laughs> The Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. Ray Ratto, he'll be here all week, try to veal. <laughs> pretty funny. It's great. All right, so um, I, I should say this. I, I didn't know what to do yesterday. It was the first Sunday without football in like five months. I did not know what to do. Now, I ended up playing golf because it was a beautiful day in Washington. It got near 50 degrees with very, very little Bright wind. Bright sun. Yeah, it's gorgeous. Bright sun. I played with Kevin Sheehan, who had oh. 87 bets going. Kip? Yeah. Kip, who really hits, hits it, it hard. long. Big he hitter. Really, big, big hitter, hitter the Lama. <laughs> he really hits it long. Uh, with Jesse McCollum, who I liked very much, and Joe House, who I liked very much. We had a lovely time. Played 18. Uh, Jesse and I won, and by that I mean Jesse won. And I really had nothing to do with it. And we had a lot of fun. And, and I had no guilt because there was no football, but I didn't really – know what to do. Over the weekend, I tried to watch other things. I don't know about you. I couldn't watch the Hockey All-Star game. It had nothing for me. I couldn't watch the football skills. I didn't care. I didn't yeah. care about guys picking up tires and running under windows. I didn't. <laughs> I watched five minutes. I, I didn't care. Pebble got rained out. I ended up watching the Saudi tour. I, I did. And I'll talk to Michael about that in a second. Also, by the way, I wanted to mention. Didn't watch any pickleball? <clears throat> no, I really can't stand Stay out of the ball. kitchen. I hate pickleball. I didn't watch pickleball. You know what I stumbled on last night when I was in wandering the wasteland as you were? Mm. Michael Clayton. Oh, wow. That's, that's always, yeah. You guys didn't watch the Grammys at all? I didn't watch no. the Grammys at all because I knew I would know nobody yeah, on it. So, that, so I'm at that point now where the question is, do I know this artist? And then if I do, you shout to your wife from the other room, I know this one. No. Like, didn't someone get arrested on stage or something like that? Uh, I didn't stay with it that really? long. Yeah, I was I, also I, trying I to watch so, to see Maybe not live. on stage, but there was somebody who won, I believe, three Grammys I mean, was arrested that night. They were, they were like, let out of the building. flood <laughs> yeah. to the arena. I mean, oh, downtown yeah. LA was under serious flood watch. Yes. I, I would, the only one I knew, somebody said to me, well, Joni Mitchell is on. I said, I don't want to see that. Not at my age and her age. Enough <laughs> is enough. I mean, whoops. I don't really want to see that. So There's one watch. performance you'd like near the beginning where Salute so comes as a country singer. I know who he, he is. did a cover of uh, Tracy Chapman's Fast Car. Uh, okay. And, that, and he, that was a great cover and sort of ended a lot of controversy around um, the, the sort of acclaim that his version of that song got over the summer. So I didn't, didn't watch any of that. I didn't really watch anything. Um, I was walking the dog this morning. We had two days here when it climbed near 50. There are flowers out. Oh, it's really? February 5th. There are these little green flowers that open up into a small white bell-shaped thing, right? Mike, you call them bell-shaped? Oh, yeah, bell-shaped. I don't know what... Something. Yeah. They seem I don't to know gr- what they, they grow are. in clusters. They're all over. 
all of a sudden. Now we're going to get snow. I believe they're called still. snowdrops. We're going to get snow. Are we? And, oh, sure. We may not get it this week. We're going to get it by late February, March. We're going to get it. So anyway, I didn't watch Pebble. <clears throat> and I was back and forth. I was talking with some people about Pebble because it was going to be rained out. Everybody knew it was going to be rained out. And I think I was talking with Sheehan about this. Or maybe maybe it was just Jesse brought it up. And I said, well, they're going to have to play it on Monday because they're not going to have a 54-hole tournament when they're being challenged by the Saudi Tour, which the whole thing, L-I-V in Roman numerals, is 54. The irony for a 54 no-cut uh, no event. They're not going to do that. And then I read this morning, they did that. Yeah, they announced that last night. And I believe, as I told you last week, it was always going to be a Monday finish. Uh, they have a rule that says you have to try and get to 72 holes. But if you get people started in that final round, you have to you finish, finish it. <clears throat> and if you think about what the waste management means to their schedule, it's not like you can be uh, sending players out still into Tuesday morning because you have another tournament to put on. And the amount of uh, damage people on like the waste management, pebble, they like to watch yes. that hole. Uh, so they, the amount of damage that was beer. done to the golf course and to <laughs> yes. the general area, they had a they had a shelter in place order. So it's not like they were going to be able to get up and do anything until early afternoon in terms of getting people out to play. And it's still winter, so you're not going to be able to play much past uh, you know five thirty five forty five. Speaking of which, the Saudi Tour event in Mexico, you know, and they had. They had some pretty big names in that tournament. John Rahm, this was his debut, and he finished second in the tournament. Uh, I think the, the event was helped by, by his not winning and by right. him by his hitting a wayward tee shot to close out his round to make it look like, okay, there is still there is a learning curve or there is a threshold you have to try and, uh, to meet to win here. It's not just take the money and win your first event. Sergio Garcia ended up in a playoff with Joaquin Neiman, who Sergio was known since, since Joaquin Neiman was a kid playing amateur golf. It, it, the the way you know that it's not a real tournament in their eyes, Sergio was tied with Neiman for over an hour. Sergio was sitting down feeding apples to his daughter. He didn't go to range for one shot. Oh, I don't think that's fair. What do you mean? Don't you said you, you watched the last week. You see Keegan Bradley holding his kid during an event. But I mean, if you thought there was going to be a playoff, don't you think they'd go to the range? Uh, you might. Go. I mean, you don't necessarily know where someone's finishing relative to the range. You often, you often might go see them chip or putt, but you also have you have to see somebody else post a number. So, well, it was they went four extra holes, and it was so dark, and everybody knows what this is like when the camera makes it seem like it's light, but oh, then right. you get away from yeah. the camera, and it's really dark. Sergio tugged a second shot on the fourth time up eighteen. Hit a chip that almost went in, landed about 10 or 11 feet past, and Neiman put in a birdie putt yeah. and ended it. And it was, except for the dopey things they wear, like shorts and team shirts, that's real golf. These are good players. What do you think? Of, so I didn't watch the playoff, but what do you golf. think of when they lit up the billboard to, to add some light to the green? I thought that was good. I'm, I'm just surprised you're so against the shorts. I, 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 I know it's you with the shorts. I just think the shirts look amateurish. The shirts look terrible. Wearing shorts to me looks terrible. I don't get the team thing at all. I mean, I don't, I don't get it. Okay, maybe that's the future. I don't get it. But if that was the only golf that was on yesterday, which it was, and you watched it, you knew the people involved. The, the, the three challengers, you knew all those people, and it was golf right and even and even farther down the board you had dj you needed brooks kepka which is a reminder of the depth that they have assembled without really 
making many big splashes other than picking up a John Rom. Like they have, there's a deeper roster than you'd think. And what did you think of it when you uh, watched it? Again, did it seem like golf to you? It looks like golf. The, the the hard thing for me to accept as a as a consumer of golf is the shotgun, which is yeah. if I'm watching the end of Pebble, I understand Pebble ends On uh, you know, around the ocean. If you have a one-stroke lead, you have to avoid a big body of water. Right. It doesn't end on you know 17, where you can likely hit a mid-iron to the middle of the green and probably get away and protect the lead. Now, that... That's different for the course setup, whether it's a par five, a hard, difficult par four. So, uh, and what's nice though is the players are finishing in, in position. So it's not like you have somebody on the other side of the golf course who is likely going to shoot up the leaderboard. So, but again, the production looked like real golf. There's a lot of schmutz on the side of the television. There's, set. there's a constant buzz, particularly for somebody of your age who's done your career. Like the music that's in the background is yeah. just a constant dint. Yeah, and I would say that that. I would take a guess that the people who were around 18, and this lasted over an hour past the last hole, over an hour. And there were, my friend Lowell Singer, his channel in California cut, cut away. It's cut away from it. You know, and they said, you can get this. And they gave him some number he could get that seemed to be on the moon. And he just said, I'm not, I'm done. <laughs> but I, my guess is the people around 18 were the only people who went to the event. I would, uh, no, it looked like there was more... There were more bodies stretched around the course. I'm not sure if they stayed for the playoff because, again, yeah. you, you have darkness. But it would be interesting to see what were the actual numbers if you could get a, a real number, which they never give for, for live golf. I think it would be the highest rated. the replay of the third round on the golf channel. Because yeah. I'm sure a lot of people just turned it on not and knowing. Assumed, yeah, assumed. assumed it was going live at that point and it was the Saturday Now, the bummer round. is if it were safe to do it, people would have loved to watch PGA Tour players playing in horrific conditions at one of the most beautiful courses that is that welcomes those can like even if it was just watching them you know hit chip four irons off there's, of seven there's a river of water oh it was not safe. In, in la as well oh and, yeah and northern california like really bad and if that was snow it'd be 18 feet of snow well i'm sure and it's snow in is. some parts of california probably in the sierra nevadas sure. there's probably 18 feet of snow is yeah. my guess so anyway now that's the open today i was other things i just forgot about them uh, we'll take a break. Michael Wilbon, when we return, I think he's in Arizona, so I think yes. he has avoided the rain, but maybe not. Has he had to evacuate to South Scottsdale? Central Scottsdale, <laughs> maybe. It's too hot down there. I'm Tony Kornheiser. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua, and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter, and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film, and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is an artist named Ali Farris. And she comes to us via Michael Granberry. 
and all Michael Granberry's artists are wonderful. They really are. And he writes, I don't remember exactly how it came about, but I remain forever grateful that it did. I met Allie Farris years ago at Elton Calvin's Coffee House in Dallas, where her vocal range and piano prowess were something to behold. We chatted, and I learned that Allie was making extra money by tuning pianos. My wife Nancy and I invited her to our house, where we happen to have a baby grand that almost never gets played. No one in our family plays a piano, so let's just say it's a lovely piece of furniture. Until Allie came to our abode and spent hours fine-tuning our sadly neglected baby grand. She needed to test the tuning, at which point she surprised us with a mini-house concert. You like Jackson Brown, right? She asked, then proceeded to play one of the best covers of The Pretender I've ever heard. Thank goodness we still have the video. This is Allie Farris. This song is entitled Jenny, and we will play her again at later in the show. She plays in Michael Wilbon, who's in Arizona. The weather in the West, at least in California, is horrific. Is there any spillover to Arizona where you are? Not yet, Tony, but there's supposed to happen. Uh, we're supposed to get that uh, like tonight or tomorrow. I know Wednesday, the chances of rain here, Wednesday, Thursday, are like 80-some percent. So for the desert, that's a lot. Um, I left L.A. yesterday trying to escape both the rain and the Grammy crowds in downtown L.A., and I was able to do that. What I wasn't expecting, because it was starting to rain, and everybody knew the consequences that were going to come there. I get to, we're we're in the air, we're halfway through the flight, it's only a 45-minute flight, and it's like, why is it clear? Why does it just clear up? And we got to Arizona, we got to to Scottsdale and it wasn't a cloud in the sky there was not a cloud in the sky yesterday it was a chamber of commerce day right or as those of us who are friends with Charles Barkley say um, it's a this is why we live here day um, and so we had that yesterday not a cloud in the sky went out and to the golf course a little bit and uh, 65 degrees I, I, I don't know when the rain is coming but it has to come because it's in, it's in L.A., as you mentioned, so it's got to get here. So the waste management is this week, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Is there any so threat bad. to that? Like, because Pebble got wa- Pebble washed out. Yeah. Just yeah. washed I, out. I don't know how, you know, the mountains that separate L.A. from us, it, it can get bad. Some of it often doesn't move over the mountains. It doesn't move east. It just kind of hangs there. But I don't know what that's going to be in this case. Nobody knows yet, but it's just sad that uh, last year the weather for the Open was brilliant, and this year the weather is promising for three days to be dreadful. Okay. It's a tough weekend for me. I don't know about you, because you, you, you concentrate on the NBA, and, and, and you are entertained by the NBA. It's a tough weekend for me, because I, I, I couldn't watch the NHL All-Star Game, it had no meaning to me whatsoever because of the format. I understand why they stopped the Pro Bowl. They shouldn't have a Pro Bowl. You can't have yeah. a game that doesn't matter at all. And I applaud what they've done, but I had no interest in it. I had no interest in these flag football games or skills competition. I just had no interest. Zero. And I just wondered if you felt the same way. I just had nothing no, I don't have nothing. I got a, I got a whole league of sports that you used to cover, but you have now decided aren't worth your time for the ninety percent of the season. I have not decided that. Right. I decided quite the opposite. Right. So no, no, I got, I got plenty of basketball to watch. I did not. I decided yesterday on the first Sunday with no football since Oof. August Oof. to uh, 
like have life. So I, I was glad. It's like enough. And I'm not going to sit there and try to make it a thing to watch this stuff that's on. You know, in America, if you just have football players just walk into a room, you know, 13 million people will sit there and watch. And so th- that's them. They can do that. I'm not doing that. And um, I didn't watch anything yesterday. I don't, know, I don't even know what the NBA results were. That's not because I don't watch. So but I'll be back in tour today. Tonight is like, uh, I don't know, seems like a 15-game night. Not 15 because that would be all 30 teams. But it's something like that. And um, there's some games. These are the dog days of the NBA in that people are tired. It's been they've played fifty some game, fifty games already. They're trying to limp to the All Star break, which is in two weeks. But in the meantime, the difference is you can get scorched, you can lose your season. There are too many good teams. You can lose your season. I don't mean if you're the Celtics or the Knicks and you lose to the Lakers because you're not paying attention, and the Lakers may just be getting better. But you can drop two or three spots and be done by the time the all-star break actually is over. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a different season for the NBA to have this many teams who think they can actually win. And so, yes, I'm very entertained by it. So I'll tell you my only appointment viewing, and it wasn't Pebble, though I had Pebble on. <clears throat> Yesterday I did watch the Saudi tour and all of that. But my one appointment viewing this weekend was Saturday night to watch Caitlin Clark yeah, at Maryland. Good. And I watched it. I watched half. I watched the first half of of it, and then you know I'd I'd had enough at that point. But I, I in watching her, she'll throw it up from anywhere. She she's a hit and miss. But and I I said this in in a text to a friend of mine. I said you know it's possible. You would think that she throws it up so far and you know and so often that her teammates might not like her. She's the best passer I've ever seen in women's basketball, and she wants to pass the ball. And her assist level is extraordinary to me, and she'll take it on the ground, go between her legs, and get to the basket better than anybody I've, I can remember. Am I crazy on this? Are you crazy? Do you see the lines of people watching her? Oh, yeah. Well, then, <laughs> then no. And so let me, let me just say this. And this is my comment on both Caitlin Clark and um, Angel Reese and Juju, who I was in. Yeah, the, the USC girl. Uh, she's, she had she's, 51 the other she's day. She's unbelievable. Yeah. She's unbelievably she great. Let me just say this. And I know you guys had Billis on, and I, I defer to Jay Billis on all matters college basketball because Jay Billis, you know, he doesn't know it. He, he feels it. He, you know, um, this is not a one off. Men's college basketball is in trouble. And I, I did some talk. You and I had this conversation on yes, the phone two days we did. ago. We did. And after that, I talked to some people who are involved in the basketball industry. And they're with me. They're like, no, 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 no. no. This is not a one-off. Nobody cared about men's college basketball last year either. And you're going to say it was because of Wimbanyama. Well, this year, the two people that a lot of people think will go early in the draft, one, two, are both French. And so you, you don't, Tony, here's a problem. You don't know who the, the guys are. You don't know who they are. They're there for a minute and a half, and even the minute and a half they're in college, they may change schools twice. There's a move afoot to 
allow kids to transfer and not just once go to the portal once, but, but as many times as they want. And so you had Duke, you had Duke Carolina game on tonight. They used to stop the world. Yes. ESPN was largely built on the strength of Duke Carolina. I, I, and, and, and also Ohio State, Michigan. But yes, I agree. I Duke agree with Carolina that. Carolina basketball. Right. Honestly, Michigan wasn't on ESPN. It was on CBS. Oh, well, then I'm wrong about that. No, no. Certainly, <laughs> certainly, yeah. um, the, certainly you're right about Duke and Carolina, and then in the early days, of course, the Big East. Of yeah. course. Yes, the Big yes. East, Big Monday. Yes. Tony, yes. Tony, I got to my hotel in, the, in, in L.A. on Saturday. And look, it's people to remind people, they associate us with certain stuff now. We earned our livings and built reputations in to no small degree on our ability to cover college basketball. Hundred percent. We both started there and we spent no small amount of time there. Hundred percent. Totally got to my hotel room and there were nine games on live. Nine. Take out Northwestern and take out Purdue because I've watched them in person play against us so many times in play period. So that means there's eight games worth. There's 16 teams. I don't know a player, Tony. I agree. I don't know a player on UConn St. John's. And I'm watching. I would have gone to the Garden. I, I went to the Garden a half dozen times in my life. Sometimes if I was just in New York City, I'd go to New York St. John's in the afternoon and then go see Bird versus Bernard King at night. There's no one I know in the damn games. Don't tell me this is a one-off. It's not a one-off. Because I'm not going to know anybody next year either. And so, Caitlin Clark is college basketball. Angel Reese is college basketball. Juju is college basketball. That's the deal. Because the men told me, so I talked to somebody last night, specific phone call, and I said to a, to a, to a CBS executive, and I said, what's your fear about what you're going to find out? And this person said that Kevin Clark may have, and it's not about the fear is not that women's basketball is great. The fear is that what it means about men's college basketball, that Kevin Clark may have outdrawn all of them. Tony, she outdrew yeah. Celtics somebody last week. No, she's, okay. it, yeah. And the NBA is going to do its thing in April when it's time to do its thing. Tony, men's college basketball. So let me ask you this. If, if we don't know who plays in early February, why the hell are we going to know in March? Mike, and last year. to the tournament? Last year when UConn won, I didn't know a single person. They won it. Yeah. I, they went through the season. They didn't lose any games outside of the Big East. Mm -hmm. Extraordinary. I couldn't name any player on that team. And in terms of. Caitlin Clark, and it always comes around to this, and people get angry when we say this. If you can stay in college, you stay yeah. one more year because yeah. the amount of money you're going to make from Iowa alone, what yes. you do, not only yes. that, you should yes. petition the WNBA to put a team in Des Moines. Yeah, she might get lucky and play in Indiana, you know, which is neighboring, and therefore her popularity can remain at a level. But there are people lined up around the block outdoors in the winter. Twice in a week in Chicago and Washington, D.C. Okay? Uh, just... Not L.A. So you've got a situation where celebrating her is great. 
because she's worth watching even if men's college basketball was was roaring. She's worth watching. She is. But Tony, it, I don't know. The only reason I know, here's what I do now. If there's a player who has a game I'm watching, and I'm trying to watch, I'm trying to, I call Matthew and I go, have I seen this kid before? Yeah, Dad, we played against him in AAU. And he'll know the kid. He'll call me and say, Dad, you watching Rob Dillingham? I go, what? He's the kid who scored 35 for Kentucky. So I will have seen some of these kids myself over the last couple of years at an AAU game where I'm there. But, Tony, I don't know them in college. All I know is the coaches. I know Kelvin Sampson. I don't know a single player on Houston, which is really good. So what's the, what's the value of March? What is it? What's gonna it going to be? I don't know. We're going to see. I'm it's going to hollow out this year. Mm-hmm. But, Tony, don't tell me that the tournament is not in trouble, that men's college basketball – once again, the only guy we're going to know going to the NBA is a Frenchman. Two years in a row. Don't tell me this is good for college basketball. It isn't. I college basketball, is, but on the men's side, is in trouble. Thank you, right? I'll talk to you later. Thank right, you. Tom. Michael Wilbon, boys and girls, will take a break. Barry's Verluga will join us when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. Once again, this is Ali Farris, sent us by our dear friend Michael Granberry, sends us the best talent in the world, and writes in the conclusion of his letter, we had lost touch with Ali until recently when she wrote me, filled me in on her life. She has a beautiful two-year-old daughter named Lily Rose. Lily Rose and her mom and dad live with their two dogs in Schwarzenberg, Lucerne, Switzerland. As Ali puts it, out among the cows and sheep with my piano and notebooks. I love it. Not long ago, Ali gave birth to her second child, whose name is Orson. Like Wells, she says, and is now excited at the prospect of having her songs played on this particular show. She's given her permission. From Lucerne. Yeah. Maybe she is, could help with the uh, large curd. curd. Yes. I would hope so. 4% milk fat. <laughs> this is called Losing All Control. Michael, if people like Ali Farris want to send in their original music, how do they do so? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at tonycornizershow.com. And she plays in Barry's Verluga. There's a million things to talk to Barry about in the Washington, greater Washington metropolitan area. And I'm going to start with something that has angered me beyond words. Uh, It just angers me. I saw it again yesterday or the day before. The Washington Wizards, who are about to leave Washington, D.C., and you can say, okay, they're only going to go a couple of miles away. It's not the point. They're walking out on the nation's capital. They're wearing these uniforms that say District of Columbia. They're playing on a court that says the district. I can't tell you, Barry, how much this angers me. Am I being crazy about this? No, you and I are in the same boat, Tony, and I think part of that is, um, you know, I think the whole time that we kind of relocated here, and that for you is longer than me, but for me is still 20 years. Um, we've lived in the district that means something here, that arena means something um, to that neighborhood, to the city, um, and it is really ironic and kind of cruelly ironic that the Wizards you know, who are terrible, they stink. Um, kind of uh, started this campaign and anchored this this season in this um, whole boundary stone, we are the district yeah. Um, yeah. kind of motif, all the while while their owner, Ted Leonsis, is 
plotting to move the team um, and the hockey team uh, across the river to Alexandria. I would say, Tony, that, that um, and I think we talked about this before, these plans are in place and, and they are real. We are at the beginning of this process, not the middle or, or the end. It is not a done deal that they are gone. Um, I think there's a lot of um, things that are going to have to happen in Virginia to get this approved. Um, you know, there are legislators, legislators in southwestern Virginia or down in the Tidewater area that, you know, they don't really care um, to spend money to, to move, um, uh, to build a, a, an arena and an entertainment district in, in northern Virginia. So um, that said, I'm on with you. And if we're both crazy, at least we're crazy together. Yeah, it's sheer villainy. And to wrap yourself in the flag in the sense that your logo is the Washington Monument when you've announced you're leaving is total villainy. I'll get off that for a second. The big news in Washington is the hiring of Dan Quinn, defensive coordinator. I, I, it's not, to me, it's a lead balloon of a hire. Now, he may turn out to be great, and I'll be wrong. But my sense was if you're going to go defense, which, of course, I wouldn't do when you have the number two draft pick and you need a quarterback, why wouldn't you hire Mike Vrabel, who appears to have been at his one stop, a better coach, seemed to me anyway, than Dan Quinn at his one stop? I don't think you hated Dan Quinn, but I'm quite certain you wanted an offensive guy. thousand percent. I mean, I just don't think it, you get a chance to line things up like they have things lined up. I mean, they have a fresh start with a new owner. They have a general manager for the first time in a generation. You get a chance to hire a coach who helps you make the second pick in the draft, who will be a quarterback around which you have to build your roster. You're in the position to build a roster around a quarterback and on a rookie deal. You have cap space to fill out all the other needs that you have. It just seems like the head of that operation in terms of in the locker room and on the field should be an offensive guy because this is among the reasons why it should have been gone that way, in my opinion. Um, if you hire a, a young offensive coordinator, and it looks like they're hiring Cliff King, Kingsbury, yeah. who's not, not young, I guess, not old, certainly, but if that person develops the quarterback, that number two pick, successfully, like Bobby Slowick did with C.J. Stroud in, in Houston, that guy's not going to be around very long because he's going to get um, a, a head job That's right. someplace else. So if you hire the offensive guy and he develops the number two quarterback, all you're doing is extending him um, uh, for yourself. So I, this, that's not a commentary on Dan Quinn, who I think is like, meh, like, uh, okay, mm -hmm. fine, I agree with you on the Vrabel point. Like, don't you at least talk to Vrabel um, if you're going to hire Quinn to have a comparison, he had a better record in Tennessee. And I would also point out, like, when they introduced Dan Quinn in Ashburn today, um, they certainly will say this guy has taken a team to a Super Bowl. Well, when he took a team to a Super Bowl, Kyle Shanahan was his offensive coordinator, and Matt Ryan was the MVP of the league, and they led the league in offense in basically every category. Kyle Shanahan walks out the door to San Francisco where he's taken his second team to a Super Bowl uh, now and Dan Quinn goes 7 and 9 7 and 9 0 oh and 5 and gets fired. So um I, I don't think this maybe it'll work out. It is a blah hire at best to yeah, me and yeah. I think at a time yeah. to hire a retread 
when everything else around here feels so fresh is, is surprising. I can't approve on that. I'm not going to even try. Um, did the Orioles sale surprise you? No, um, I can, which is not to say that uh, I was like, oh, yeah, you know, last Wednesday or whatever, um, the Angelos family is going to sell. I do think it is, it's kind of been coming. Peter Angelos is in poor health. The family has had a bunch of infighting. Um, and the Orioles are at kind of a, a crucial point in, in their development. I, I would say, Tony, um, if you were dropped from outer space and plopped down in um, the United States and, and were told you should pick um, one of 30 Major League Baseball teams to be a fan of in 2024, I, I might pick the Baltimore Orioles. Yeah. Um, and it's it's because of what they have on the field and what they just did in winning 101 games with this really young, exciting core. But it's also because um, this new ownership situation with David Rubenstein, who, I mean, people might not know nationally, but man, is he a big, big Washington, D.C. philanthropist um, and, um, you know, started the Carlisle Group and is worth, you know, bazillion dollars. Um, but he is a Baltimore native. And all through this process, when he kind of, um, you know, flirted with Ted Leonsis and trying in an attempt to try to buy the Nationals, um, I was told that, man, um, if David, uh, if the Orioles become available, David would really, really, really jump on that. So I think you have somebody with very, very deep pockets, uh, uh, just a huge love for the city of Baltimore. And it, much like when the Washington NFL team was, was sold um, a feeling in the, in the fan base that, you know, anybody but Angelos at this point, because he was not going to spend, they were not going to spend. I think that's going to change now for Baltimore. It's just a sea change over there. Yeah, I agree. I just wish he'd buy the, bought the nationals because he was born there, but he lives here now. This leaves Ted Leonsis, who I accused of villainy about 10 minutes ago um, and stand by that because he's taking two teams out of Washington, D.C. for reasons that have to do solely with money. This leaves him as a bidder for the Washington Nationals. I would be reluctant to sell to him because I would think he would move the team to Virginia. I would be very reluctant to sell. Is that a foolish position? Foolish, maybe no. It doesn't jump to the front of mind um, for me. I mean, I don't think the Lerner family, who has owned the Nationals since they bought it, them from Major League Baseball in, in 2000, sale was completed in 2006. Um, I think they don't care who the buyer is if the buyer meets their price, whatever their price is. Um, they are, I think we've probably talked about this before, they're not concerned what the market would say the, the nationals are worth. They establish their own market, and if they determine that their team is worth X and you offer X minus one, you're not going to get the team. So the, the equation is, does, does Ted Leonsis, um meet the learner's price, whatever that is? And I do think there is a tie to what we just talked about in the sale of the Orioles, because um, people here locally know that the TV rights uh, mm -hmm. for the Nationals are tied up um, and, and controlled by the Orioles, and that has kind of hung over this franchise for the entirety of its existence. 
Leonsis and Rubenstein are friendly, have worked together on many different things. There's a, um, you know, a line of thinking that when Rubenstein buys the Orioles, there's a, and, and if Leonsis buys the Nationals, there's a um, way that they could solve that television rights uh, problem just because they have a working relationship that the Lerner family and the Angelos family did not. Those are two extremely litigious groups who would dig in their heels. So there's a path here that, um, you know, there could be solutions all over the place for these two franchises if those buyers uh, and, and those sales go through. We're closer on the Baltimore side than we are on the on the Washington side, although I, I think we'll see some movement over the course of this season. That makes all the sense in the world. I would still be afraid of taking the team and going somewhere else. I would be afraid of that. The Wizards, the aforementioned Wizards, stink beyond caring. I mean, they fired a coach last week, and nobody cared. And there was no, honestly, there was no commentary. There was nothing. They fired a coach. They continue to lose all the time. They really should lower ticket prices. If they're going to put this product out there, they should lower ticket prices. Have you gotten a letter to, to indicate they're going to lower ticket prices? I haven't. I'm just wondering, maybe it missed me and you got it. No, you know, it's funny. I, the postman just walked by and he didn't have it for me. The, um, <laughs> I had a buddy who had a family member in from out of town who was a big NBA fan and, and wanted to go last Friday night. And... Um, they spent 35 bucks on 400-level seats to see this group, um, which is criminal, it seems like, to me. There should be $15 tickets to, to, to get in. Plus I, I food. Think, 15 plus food if you show up. Right, sure, right, yeah. exactly. Or you paid me 15 bucks to go, perhaps. <laughs> um, maybe it works that way. Um, I do agree with you, Tony, and we, we talked a little bit by text about this, Um they are, I, I am a sports columnist in Washington, D.C., and Wes Unseld Jr. gets fired. And in, you know, 90% of NBA cities, the sports columnist in town was like, well, they fired the coach. Like, this is like, you know, it's, if it's not like um, a three alarm fire, you're certainly like sitting down and, and typing. And it just, it, it barely changes my pulse. Like, they don't, <laughs> um, they don't register right now. They, they are not relevant. And I, you know, we know now, Tony, um, how much stuff gets read based on, on subject because, you, you, you know, we know what the clicks are. And it's just the Wizards are a wasteland. They're not there. No one cares. Of, of interest. So they might be doing the right thing in, in stripping it down. And I do think it's better than, um, you know, going halfway with, with Bradley Beal and paying him all that money just to win 35 games and not make the playoffs, like, that was not a good plan. But but if if they're going to to build it back up, um, this is the painful part. When you're, if the people who do care uh, have to watch just terrible basketball, and the reality is there's not a lot of uh, those people who do care at all anyway. So it's, it's, no. these are rough times for that franchise. Surprised me. It, it really did when Matt Rennie told me there are no clicks, you know, that nobody, nobody seems to care. They have, they're almost irrelevant at this point. I was surprised and disheartened. And again, I mean, to me, bring people in there, offer really cheap seats, offer something. But then, then the ownership has said, now we're moving. We're, we don't care about you. We don't care. We're moving anyway. So disheartening, right? You would understand that if you're a fan. Disheartening. 
Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. And, and, but the, I think the, the point is, you know, the move almost doesn't matter for that franchise because what fan base are you alienating? It's so small and, and expects so little. Like, I, I am not, I am, I'm with you on the move. I think it's, I think it's criminal. But I think there's a, uh, you know, there could be a marketing executive who thinks, well, who cares if we're bad? When we get to Virginia, we're going to be on the ascent and we're going to be selling a completely different product to a completely different fan base. Yeah. I'm not endorsing that as, a, as a, an approach, but I can see suits thinking that way. That's fine. Just when you get out there, don't wear a uniform that has the Washington Monument on it. Don't. Unless you have somebody in the logo with binoculars looking at the Washington <laughs> Monument from across the river. Thank you, Barry. Thanks, Tony. Appreciate it. Barry's for Lugo. Does a wonderful job for the Washington Post. We'll take a break. Email and jingle. When we return, I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to the Tony Kornheiser Show. Here comes Tony's. Tony's mailbag. He got you Faxes and your notes. He's gonna read some mail for all you folks. Tom Goddard's lovely. I really, really like it. Isn't that great? I really, really like it. I do. You want to do the Bethesda Bagel ad? Yes, Bethesda Bagels. We love them. You will as well. Just go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in, my friend, and you'll be thrilled, especially if you get the bagel sandwiches like we did today. That'll just about do it for us today. Before we get to the mailbag, let me say, close your eyes and I'll kiss you tomorrow. I'll miss you. Remember, I'll always be true. And then while I'm away, I'll write home every day and I'll send all my love into you. (coughs) Excuse me. Today is February 5th. On February 7th will be the 60th anniversary of the Beatles flying into New York City at what was then called Idlewild Airport, populated at that time by one Mr. Douglas Hegel, an assistant principal (laughs) at George W. Hewlett High School, where he was met by students from George W. Hewlett High School leaving school early in order to see the Beatles land and screaming at him, Hegel is a beagle, as he took their names down to suspend them. I will say no more. Thanks to our guests today, Michael Wilbon and Barry's Verluga. Thanks as well to today's sponsors. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. If you get the show through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. Okay. Um, We're going to do the most recent emails because I left the other ones in a different room. This is from Joe Antal in uh, Venice, Florida. I thoroughly enjoyed all the worst songs of all time emails you've been reading. When you segued into Most Beautiful, I was moved to submit a song that for me has lasted... A lifetime. I first heard The Shadow of Your Smile. It's a beautiful song. Watching The Sandpiper as a teenager. I loved it then and still do. I remember singing it to the woman to whom I'm now related by marriage when we slow danced at our wedding party. I'm willing to bet that with your amazing memory for lyrics, you can finish the famous verse that follows The Shadow of Your Smile when you were gone. Look, this is a beautiful, beautiful song, The Shadow of Your Smile. It's a little syrupy, I'll grant you, but it's a beautiful song. From George in Philadelphia. First concert I ever went to was an early 2000s reunion of Simon and Garfunkel in Philadelphia with my high school sweetheart. The stadium was packed to the rafters. They opened for themselves and, of course, brought the house down. The reason for there being no opening act was their special guests were none other than the Everly Brothers, who came out (laughs) mid-show to sing some of their greatest hits alongside the aforementioned Simon and Garfunkel. 
They closed with Bridge Over Troubled Water, and it was the most emotionally charged environment I've ever been in. At the very end, I turned to give my girlfriend a hug and a kiss, getting caught up in the moment unlike any other, completely forgetting on the other side of her was our ride home, who also happened to be her mother. <laughs> Let's just say she was not amused. But we will always have that concert. Me, Simon, Art, Phil, Don, my girlfriend, and her mom. That's a great email. <laughs> From Dan Smith in Middleton, Ohio. I'm just curious, does the guy that zips your coats up for you have to work overtime when you decide to break out the sleeping pants, or does he have an assistant take care of that stuff for him? I think you're getting ripped off by some salesman with these sleeping pants names. When you go to the nail store, do they convince you to buy a left-handed screwdriver and a right-handed screwdriver in case one hand gets tired? The only question you should be asking before you pay is, do these come in orange? It's great. <laughs> Carla Corrado, our old friend at Columbus, Ohio. Inappropriately, at my university, some students shuffle into morning classes wearing their pajama bottoms and fuzzy slippers. This semester, I made it mandatory that we, they wear, you know, pants and shoes to class. Call me crazy. After class Wednesday, I called aside an improperly attired student to remind him that the pajamas are frowned upon in an establishment. He looked annoyed and then responded, why? Uh, right, that's why I'm wearing sleep pants. After hearing your Nautica situation, I did not challenge it. Please tell David Merkowitz, who teaches history across the hall, to eat it. <laughs> Professor of sociology, I assume, at Ohio State. No, but she's at Audubon. Oh, is that right? Yes, which is which just is... down the road. Okay, yeah. okay. Uh, Steve Lepoe, Denver. Sleeping pants? Sleeping pants, are you 200 years old? Did you grow up in a Charles Dickens novel? I think the word you're looking for is pajamas, Grandpa. Mark Hughes writes, Dear Mr. Tony, I've been eating pizza in Rehoboth for six decades. I was stunned you gave a Rehoboth pizza story and it didn't refer to one of the holy trinity of Rehoboth pizza joints, which would be, of course, Grotto, Nicola, and Louis. Uh, all fine, but I like Casa de Leo. Friendships have been broken in arguments over which of these three is the best. Are you now throwing a fourth name into the ring? This is big news for Rehoboth pizza lovers. As George Costanza said, worlds are colliding here, Jerry. This is from Mark Hughes in Ashton, Maryland, Chuck and Roxy, episode 292. Michael, you've eaten at all of the others at Grotto, Nicola. Grotto's just, the most famous. They're Nicola different. Lewis. Yeah. Yeah. If Grotto is the signature one. Uh, yes, and if that's sort of a, that is a beach experience you should try, but it's a sweeter yes. sauce. Yeah, yes. just like you have to try the French fries. What are the French fries? Thrashers. 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 You have to have them. Sure. But I mean, I'm just telling you that Casa de Leo is where I like the best. From Joe in Orlando, Florida. No, Nico Boli here. Yeah, and that, they have Nicola's. They're out on the highway now. Joe in Orlando, Florida. One night last week as I was watching Jeopardy, the $2,000 clue given in a category titled Bald is Beautiful was a picture of none other than James Carville, along with some detail about his political career. As a contestant rang in with a correct response, I realized I listened to the show way too much. When I was surprised, the entire exchange didn't go like this. Contestant, who is James Carville? Ken Jennings, James Carville. Contestant, who? Ken. NFL game picker, TK Podcast, contestant, oh. <laughs> Greg Archbald, Los Alamos. Whoa. New Mexico, that's where the bomb. Yeah, it's, it's where they made that. Um, yeah. uh, about Wilbon, I'm going to need to see the analytics on rooting for a rival. <laughs> Jim Johnson, JJ, Loyal Little, number 241 for Chuck and Roxy, I guess from Chattanooga. While listening to Thursday's show, I had my own David Aldridge moment. Well, sort of. When you read Nathan's email about YKK Zippers, I thought, I know that company. I designed the building structure for their manufacturing facility in Lawrenceburg, Kentucky in the early 90s to sort of make it a double David Aldridge moment. I used to go to church with a man, the very rich man that created the zipper manufacturing machines used at YKK and most of the other zipper manufacturers in the rest of the world. If it's not taken, can I be the structural engineer of the Tony Kornheiser show? We could have used you. <laughs> Kevin Bench, <laughs> The Hills, Texas. 
My father-in-law is a farmer from a small town, population 500 plus, named Turkey, Texas. Not a typo. About 20 years ago, he came to visit his little girl in Austin, Texas. He needed some new shoes, so we went to one of the major stores in the mall. I think it was Dillard's or Nordstrom's or something like that. He found a pair of loafers that he liked that were priced at $120. He said to the salesman, I like these. I'll give you $200 for two pair. I was mortified then, stunned when the salesman said, you've got a deal. (laughs) Wait, what? What? Now he haggles everywhere. Gas stations, restaurants, banks. It's unbelievable. What are we even doing here? Uh, From Will Calicott. Aiken, South Carolina. Lovely little town. Lots of golf courses around there. Pretty near Augusta. About an hour. All the way, yeah. Almost. It's an hour or is it closer? Dear Mr. Tony, I'm going to make an educated guess that you are not familiar with the particulars of how podcast apps actually work. (laughs) Of course. I've never listened to a podcast. When I open my app to listen to your show, Spotify in my case, the app suggests to me other podcasts you might like based on my listening habits. Those other podcasts appear as a list of cover art, similar to the cover of a book or an album. Imagine my delight when Spotify recently suggested to me a podcast whose cover simply read T-Boy. What luck, I thought. A straight line to Carville's guy. I can kill it now from now on on an obscure Southland Conference matchups and Patriot League over-unders. Sadly, T-Boy turned out to be an acronym for the best one yet, a pop culture podcast that had no insight into McNeese State plus seven and a half. Come on, man. What are we even doing out here? And from Bill Isaacson. I did some follow-up on your phrase, that's it, that's the list. There's an actual website on quotable quotes that credits that phrase to you. Wow. There you go. I guess you had that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you guys were stealing it in a rival publication. What you don't know, I think, is that your phrase has been updated. And on Twitter, the common phrase is, that's it, that's the tweet. Internet history traces this Twitter back to 2010 when at Jeremy Sandwich tweeted, there's a rough family living two doors down. That's it. That's the tweet. Now the phrase is repeated on Twitter or X as it is now called constantly. An email with all the tweets using the phrase in just one hour before this email would fill many pages. But to give you a sample from that hour, slinky dinky, that's it. That's the tweet. (laughs) Tom Hiddleston is so beautiful. That's it. That's the tweet. Dracula Myhawk's hat hair. That's it. That's the tweet. Tony, it's all part of your legacy now. Add it to the Hofwaff. Bill Isaacson. That's wonderful. So you got out on your bike tonight, everyone, as always. Do wear white. What does Argo mean? I don't know. You don't know? It means Argo f*** yourself. <laughs> Jenny's got blonde hair just like me. It falls in her face every night when she sleeps. Jenny's got a big mouth and big teeth. She remembers how the cool kids always so mean. But it doesn't take much to make her smile. She could swallow all the pain, but that ain't her style. It's
While you're missing 
Losing our control.